This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Well, what a busy day for the St. John's Regional Fire Department, and it continues to be. They're still at this, the scene, I, I think, of the downtown fire anyway, um, mopping up hot spots and making sure there's no flare-ups there. Uh, two, at least two properties, uh, one destroyed, the other one heavily damaged in that particular fire. And anytime there's a fire in the downtown of St. John's where you have so many wooden buildings packed so tightly together, Uh, It is very scary. It has the potential to spread rapidly. And of course, uh, the the winds were uh, gusting a bit this morning. So that's another uh, major, you remember the one on um, Long's Hill there, uh, what, 20 or 30 years ago now, Claudette? Uh, And the winds were blowing a gale that night. I think it was like 100 kilometers per hour at least. And that had the potential to spread much farther than what it did as as it stood. It it, uh, wiped out an entire city block so um, always scary and uh, while they were still at the scene of that they got called in to another fire and that one was out on the Trans-Canada Highway at the old uh, everybody remembers it as Islander RV there on, near Patty's Pond it's Akita equipment now so we'll get a little update on the, those two fires the, the first fire was called in around 8 o'clock this morning or just before 8 o'clock um, to reports of a home on Lime Street engulfed in flame and you could see the black smoke billowing throughout the downtown area and of course as you know St. John's is like a big bowl and you can see anything that's happening in the downtown in that realm for you know a big part of the city so uh, very scary indeed there was this big black fog that was just hanging over the harbor which was the smoke from this fire being blown over the harbor and just sort of sitting there it was uh, really quite spooky well VOCM's Noah Shepard was among the reporters who spoke with Deputy Fire Chief Roger Hounsel at the scene of the downtown fire this morning. Uh, we got a call at around 7.45 of, uh, of a structure fire on uh, Livingstone Street and Lime Street. Uh, when our first arriving crews got on the scene, um, they encountered heavy fire and uh, heavy smoke uh, coming from a residence on Lime Street. Uh, so we uh, laid an attack line initially and uh, started to uh, do an interior attack. And then once we uh, got so far, then the, f- the fire was too heavy, so we came, had to come out and then uh, start to do a defensive uh, attack on the fire. How many houses are impacted right now? Are we going to from this corner? So right now we have two structures. Uh, one house uh, on Lime Street is completely destroyed. And right now we're uh, the next house down from it. We're currently uh, entering that uh, structure. That, that has multiple units in it. So we're, we're going from unit to unit to see uh, if there's any fire spread uh, on the uh, house next door. And were there any people from the hospital or ambulance or uh, I'm not sure of. Uh, right now, as far as I know, no, we haven't had any uh, issues with anyone going to hospital. Um, as far as I understand, there was nobody in any of the residents. Uh, but that's why we're, along with doing a, a fire search, we're also uh, making sure that all of the uh, residents are vacant as well. It's 
so everyone's obviously out. Uh, that the blue building there, the, the fire's kind of popped out a couple times. Very pesky. Uh, what's going on? Yeah, so what's happening here, This uh, the blue structure on Lime Street has multiple units in it. Uh, so, of course, from the fire from the upper residence, it spread over to the roof. Uh, so now it's after getting into that residence, so that's what we're doing now, going from uh, uh, unit to unit to uh, either check for fire extension or knock down any fire that's uh, happening there now. And what's the threat that it could spread to other I think right now we have it uh, contained to just uh, two residents, uh, but we have multiple crews here. We have three stations here, plus another crew called in. So uh, we're good on manpower and we're good on water and resources. So that's what we're doing along with doing an interior search of one of the properties. We're, we're making sure our exposures are covered on the other sides. Any uh, time frame when you think you might be... Well, we're going to be here most of the day, I would imagine. As you can imagine, there's there's a bunch of apartments in one of the properties. So by the time we go through all these, and we also have to make sure that everything obviously is out before we leave. But I would say we're going to be here well till this afternoon. And as far as I know, firefighters are still on the scene there, uh, uh, mopping up and knocking down hot spots. In the meantime, while the fire department was busy at that scene, another call came in, this time from Akita Equipment out on the Trans-Canada Highway. Uh, so while Noah Shepard was um, covering the story down in the um, downtown area on Lime Street, Richard Duggan headed out the highway. And here once again is Deputy Fire Chief Roger Hounsel. Tell us uh, what's going on here today. So we arrived on the scene here uh, at around 11.30 uh, to fire and smoke showing on the front of the building. Uh, we laid an attack line, uh, we knocked the fire down, and right now we're uh, gaining water supply uh, from the pond behind the building. Uh, so we've secured water, and now we're just taking off the front of the building to check for fire extension, and we got a crew going on the roof uh, to see that it hasn't spread to the rest of the roof. Did everybody get out okay? As far as I'm aware, everybody's out of the building. There were no injuries, uh, and uh, along with our crews, uh, the, the staff from the, uh, the business are also helping us with some equipment here to, uh, to tear the front off the building. This is a busy spot. It's a commercial trucking operation, I believe. Uh, do you have any idea what caused this today? As of right now, we don't have no idea uh, what caused it. Uh, that will be up to the uh, RNC to do an investigation uh, to determine the cause. Was it a tough uh, blaze to fight, or was the, did you guys knock it down pretty easily? We had it knocked down fairly quickly because, uh, like I said, it was on the front uh, face of the building. Uh, so, again, we're just doing, checking for fire extension. So most of the damage on the outside of the building, uh, some smoke and stuff got inside, looks like? So there is smoke on the interior. Uh, right now, we're just concentrating on making sure that it's out on the front and crews now are going to also check the rest of the building for fire extension along the roof. Can you comment on what your department has been uh, enduring today? Yeah, so we've had a very busy morning. Um, hats off to all our crews. They've done an outstanding job at both locations. We still have crews on Livingstone Street. Uh, we have crews called in, but they're doing an exceptional job here today. Uh, you know, And we do also have some high windy conditions, so that's certainly not helping us. But uh, we've gained the upper hand now on both fires, uh, and hats off to our crews. So you've had to uh, call in uh, firefighters who were off duty today? Is that what you've had to do? Yeah, so what we've done is uh, the fire this morning uh, on Livingstone Street, it was right around the time that we switched crews. So we kept crews back from who were going off, and we also called in crews. 
uh, for uh, that, that are off duty that are called in on overtime uh, because we, we put other trucks our spare engines on the run uh, because we have so many stations out so we're, we still have other stations and other trucks looking after the rest of our region uh, to make sure that in, you know, as it happened here uh, we could have multiple fires at any one time so we got other trucks now put in service you look like we're almost at the end of 2023. How, like today compared to the rest of the year, is this an unusual day? Yeah, this is probably the busiest day we've had in a while, uh, no doubt. Uh, you know, especially when you have two uh, fires so close together. Uh, so that's why, uh, yeah, it's been fairly busy today. And, uh, you know, our crews, again, I, I can't say it enough to speak how good our crews have worked and the effort that they put in to, uh, to not let any of the fires spread any further than what they did. Did this thing, this situation reveal anything that you might be, there might be some shortcomings somewhere, you might need something else? What did it say to you? No, uh, right now, like I said, with two of these large fires that we had originally, our crew's done a good job and our resources were, were stretched, but we recognise that uh, along with our platoon chiefs and our captains, our officers and our firefighters, uh, you know, they know what they're doing. So, you know, we, uh, we handled it, um, you know. Uh, if something else happened now, I have no doubt that we can handle that as well because we're slowly starting to free crews up from, other, uh, from the two fires. They will uh, go back to the stations and get cleaned up and get freshened up and get a bite to eat, uh, get their trucks put back in service, and uh, we'll be ready to respond again as we are right now. So I guess this is what it's all about. You guys are ready. There, there's days when you're, it can be slow, but this is what you're ready for, right? This is what we do. Uh, you know, these again, these guys and girls are, uh, are professionals. Uh, this is what we, we do. Uh, you know, we're ready in our region to, to assist. Uh, you know, we don't obviously like going to any of this because, unfortunately, that means that somebody else is suffering. And that's not what we're about. We're here to help and, uh, and keep the, the residents of our region safe. And that's, that's showed here today. Uh, with the two fires that our crews can do that. So that's Deputy Fire Chief with St. John's Regional Fire Department, Roger Hounsel, uh, following the second of two major blazes in the Capital City region this morning. The cause of each of those fires, of course, now under investigation. Well, uh, the staff at Akita Equipment did manage to escape the blaze at their business uh, safely earlier today. Uh, owner Chris Howlett joins me now. Well, Chris Howlett, you've had better days. Yes, I've had a lot better days than I had today, that's for sure. So tell us what happened. We actually don't know. Uh, uh, two employees noticed that the front of the building was on fire, and, and uh, that's as much as we really know right now. Um, I guess the, the police and, the, and the, fire, the fire investigation will figure out that. So was anybody in the building at the time? Oh, yeah, there was probably 24, 25 people inside the building at the time, yes. They all managed to get out safely? Everyone was out safely. That's 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 more than we can. That, that's the best uh, best thing to happen all day. And uh, you know, other than that, it's just uh, try to try to get situated, find out what happened, and then try to get back on the move here. So the fire was at the front of the building. Yeah. So this building is built in a bunch of different places because a bunch of different pieces as it was built down to a year over the years. So there's a center section of the building which we call a showroom, which was a showroom. And uh, basically, got it out the whole center of the building. I guess probably five or six thousand square feet, and uh, just you know, that's totally you know gone, you know, demolished. And um, I, I'm assuming by the word showroom, you had equipment in there. Uh, yeah, we had. Well, we use it for storage, but uh, I say showroom because in this building's previous life, it was a 
uh, an RV dealership, and that's what they that's what they had. You know, they use it for a showroom. So uh, you know, but I just we had a lot of stuff stored in there, different uh, different things that we were moving for people, and uh, of course, I had all my boardroom and my. Uh, my controller's offices and three or four offices up top there, so so I lost all that. So what does this mean now for business? Well, it, it, the, the next <laughs> business is going to carry on as per normal. Uh, hopefully, I just uh, we're sort of full up here right now because they cut the power co- course with uh, with uh, Light and Power had cut the power for fire. So now we're just trying to get a hold of someone at the city to get approval to turn our power back on. So that's our most important thing right now is that uh, we can't operate without power. i got trucks all over North America, and right now they can't get a hold of me. And because we have no phone system, we got no computers. So we're doing a little bit by the, by the cell phones and stuff, but I've I, I really got to get power ASAP. And is any of the building salvageable? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I'm in the office right now, walking around in the office. We're, we're, we're good. It, so, of course, when a building's added on, there's like fire, fire protected walls put up. So it contained in one, one part of the building, much like you would see like a, a duplex house is built. You know what I mean? There's, there's a, you know, a fire, a fire wall put up. So that actually did work, and uh, and my offices is fine, and my garage is fine. So I can operate, and I want to operate. It's just I got to get some power. For sure. So what's the holdup? Any idea? <laughs> We're dealing with the city, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I do have uh, an electrical uh, electrical company uh, trying right now to get this done, but I, we also know that there's a fire on Livingstone Street, so there's no uh, is is a, a bit full up today when it comes to that stuff, I guess. And of course, you know, uh, companies and households, we we try to make sure that we're prepared for these kinds of things when they happen. Did everything sort of fall into place when you realized that things were going very very wrong? Everything was awesome, and thank God for the St. John's Fire, Regional Fire Department. And, uh, of course, we had uh, some friends of ours um, up the street that, that showed up here with a, a water truck and, uh, you know, a big water truck for construction. And we had an excavator here, and we knocked a piece of the building off to uh, to make sure we could get at the fire quicker and to slow it down and stop it. So everything worked good, and all people worked together, and that does. You know, of course, we're still here today. No one's hurt, and we can operate here if we have power. So I think we're. I think we. I don't know if you call it a win, but it's it's, it's making the best of a bad situation. For sure. And once the power comes back, then what's your next? Uh, I guess priority. Well, I just got. I got to make sure we keep our. our I mean, we we got a, a trucking company here. You know, and we're employed eighty five people. So the quicker I get going, I want to keep everyone everyone employed and keep everyone uh, everyone moving. So after that, we'll start uh, start rebuilding what, what where we were and, and and just you know fix it up. But right now, I just got to get power and get going here. Chris, all the best to you now and your staff. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Linda. Have a great day. And Chris Howlett is the owner of Akita Equipment, which was uh, heavily damaged by fire earlier today. Well, coming up, the province is continuing to send some cancer patients to Toronto while recruitment of radiation therapists continues. This is News Talk on VOCM. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. 
And we are back. Well, you will recall last year that the province started sending some cancer patients to Toronto for treatment following a mass exodus of radiation therapists from the health sciences in St. John's. Recruitment continues, but Health Minister Tom Osborne confirmed in the House of Assembly today that some patients are still being sent to Toronto one year after the emergency measures were put in place. Here's Osborne responding to questions from opposition House Leader Barry Petten in the House of Assembly just a short while ago. Speaker, it has been almost a full year since we began sending cancer patients to Toronto because of shortage of radiation therapists. Speaker, patients are at a scary time in their lives are sitting alone in the Toronto hotel rooms. Speaker, when is the Liberal government going to start providing cancer care at home? The Honourable Minister of Health and Community Services. And Mr. Speaker, we would like to stop having to send patients to Toronto, but the alternative is that they don't have the care they need. We've been able to reach an agreement with Toronto, Mr. Speaker, that they will provide the care they need while we are recruiting. The reality of the fact is we've recruited six individuals to that unit, Mr. Speaker, uh, in recent months. We continue to recruit. We do want to get the extra unit open, Mr. Speaker, but we do need to ensure we have the proper staff so that people can be pro provided the treatment in the fourth unit safely and properly. Until then, we will continue to send them to Toronto so that they have the care that they need, Mr. Mr. Speaker. The Honourable the Opposition House Leader. Speaker, it's no good to recruit in front door when the stampede is continuing out the back door. <clears throat> the fort machine has been shut down for over a year and failure rested to feed at the members opposite. How many more hundreds of cancer patients are going to have to leave the province before government fixes the retention problem? The Honourable Minister of Health and Community Services. Mr. Speaker, I'm not sure if the member heard my previous answer, but we've recruited six individuals to that uh, unit in recent months, Mr. Speaker. We will continue to recruit. There's a shortage of those uh, specialists throughout the country, Mr. Speaker. That is a known fact. We've been successful in recruiting six individuals to that, uh, to, to, uh, that area of health care. We will continue to recruit, Mr. Speaker. It is competitive, but we've had success. We'll continue to ensure that we recruit to that area so we can get the fourth unit open. The Honourable the Opposition Leader. Speaker, the failure is that they couldn't keep them. That's your failure. Recruit all you want, but if you can't keep them, it's a revolving door, Mr. Speaker. Speaker, again, we can recruit all we want, but this government has failed to all land these professionals leaving the province for more pay and better working conditions elsewhere. That's the problem. Hundreds of residents are not getting the critical cancer treatment within the 28-day national standards. When is this going to stop? The Honourable Members of Health and Community Services. Again, Mr. Speaker, I can uh, continue to say we've recruited six individuals uh, to that area of health care delivery recently. We will continue to recruit, Mr. Speaker. Yes, of course, we want to get people below the, the benchmark wait times, Mr. Speaker. It's more important that we provide the health care while that unit is shut down and we send them to Ontario to ensure that we provide the health care that is required, Mr. Speaker. We make no apologies for ensuring that people have the health care they need. Unfortunately, there is a shortage across the country in that area. We have put in place, Mr. Speaker, market adjustments to help retain those individuals recently. We've made that pensionable, Mr. Speaker, and I know the Minister of Finance is working on the pensionability issue for all market adjustments. 
So that was uh, Health Minister Tom Osborne and Opposition House Leader Barry Petten in the House of Assembly this afternoon on the matter of cancer patients who are still being sent to Toronto in some cases uh, while they continue the recruitment of uh, radiation therapists and others at the Cancer Centre. Well, uh, coming up after the news break, we're going to get uh, to hear more about this. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie says a humanitarian agreement is urgently needed to help people in Gaza. She's calling for a pause in hostilities between Israel and Hamas to allow more aid into the territory and says Canada has an obligation to help almost 500 citizens, permanent residents and family members get out. Israeli tanks and troops are continuing to advance into Gaza where conditions are deteriorating as food, medicine and fuel run dangerously low. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu told a news conference today that he would not agree to a ceasefire saying it would be tantamount to surrender to Hamas, surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. So uh, no end to the hostilities on either side there from what we can see. But we will hear from some of the people who are calling for a ceasefire, others who have family members being held in Gaza uh, after that attack on Israel back on October the 7th. Uh, So we'll hear more about that when we come back after the break. Uh, you're up to news time now with VOCM's Richard Duggan. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, an update now on the ongoing violence in the Middle East and growing calls for a humanitarian agreement and ceasefire in the region. We'll start with a news conference called earlier today in Ottawa from families of Israelis killed and kidnapped by Hamas in the original attack October the 7th. They're calling on Ottawa to demand the release of civilians still being held in Gaza. We have with us today uh, a delegation uh, of people that have survived and have loved ones that were either murdered or are right now abducted by Hamas in Gaza. They came here in order to speak to government officials here in Canada and asking uh, of the immediate release of all hostages, including their loved ones. And they are here to tell their story and answer questions. We would like to thank both uh, Melissa Lanzman and uh, Malcolm Indicino for arranging uh, us this press conference today and for having us the opportunity uh, for you to meet with those people and uh, get uh, their stories told to the Canadian public. Uh, If you wish to know anything or have more questions, you can reach me after this press conference. Thank you. So I'll start. Thank you again. Uh, So this is Avram, my grandpa's uh, brother. Uh, He lived in kibbutz near Oz together with with his family, uh, Ruti. Both of them are 78 years old. He used to live there with uh, their son, Roy Munder, who was murdered on Saturday morning. And on that weekend, their daughter, Karen, came to visit with her son, Ohad, uh, for the holiday for the weekend, just to see grandpa and grandma. And the four of them, Avram, uh, Ruti, Karen, and Ohad, uh, were abducted by Hamas 
into Gaza and they have been there uh, since that Saturday for over three weeks. Uh, we don't know what their condition is, whether they're alive or not. Avraham, my uncle, is an old person. He can barely walk. He uses a cane. He needs to take medicine. His vision isn't great. And both of them, my uncle and aunt Avraham and Ruti, are peace activists. They've been uh, participating in so many uh, peace programs. They used to take sick children and people from Gaza into hospitals inside Israel. And their kibbutz near Oz suffered so many casualties. It was a small community of 400 people. And one of four people who uh, used to live there was either murdered or abducted by Hamas uh, on that morning. Uh, everything there is ruined, burned to the ground. Um, and we really want everyone who was abducted to be released uh, immediately and as soon as possible. Um, my name is Alexandra. I'm sister-in-law of Sapir Cohen. Uh, Sapir went with Alexandra, her partner, to kibbutz near Oz to uh, have a celebration of a Jewish holiday with uh, Alexandra's family. Um, unfortunately, his father got murdered. He, uh, the army found his body right by Gaza. Um, and the rest of the family is kidnapped by Hamas. Um, we saw a video of Sapir getting kidnapped by Hamas terrorists. And we saw how they brought her to Gaza. And we saw civilians, how happy they are of this. And we saw civilians punching her, throwing things towards her. And just looked like it's a celebration for them. And um, this is terrible, it's happening now. And um, we really hope that we will get them back as soon as possible because every second that they're there can be critical. We don't know what's going on there. We can't imagine what they're going through now. So that is some of uh, the Israeli families who have come to Canada to urge uh, Canada to demand the release of civilians still being held in Gaza. And uh, I don't know if you could hear the sound there, but they were holding up pictures of uh, loved ones, young and old, uh, people who are being held there and uh, some who have already been murdered and um, not knowing exactly what their fate might be. Meanwhile, a multi-faith coalition urges a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. Here's some of that news conference uh, which was held in uh, Ontario today. My name is Dr. Azam Abu Rayash and I'm here on behalf of a coalition of Canadian Muslims, Christians and Jews. This coalition includes the Canadian Council of Imams, Rabbi David Mivasser, York Region Muslims, Muslim Association of Canada, Independent Jewish Voices, the Toronto and York Region, Toronto Jewish Families, Mennonite Church Canada, Palestine Israel Network, Canadian Council of Muslims Theologians, United Church of Canada, Islamic Institute of Toronto, United Jewish People's Order, Canadian Friends Service Committee, Quakers, Canadian Muslims Public Affairs Council, Justice for All, Family Honor Project, Canadian Muslim Civil Liberties Association, Islamic History Month, Canada. 
and we are here to deliver this statement regarding the ongoing crises in the Middle East. We have three speakers, and we will not be taking any questions. Our first speaker is Imam Sikandar Hashimi of the Canadian Muslim Community. Good afternoon, and peace to you all. Thank you for joining us today. We gather here as representatives of a diverse coalition of Muslim, Jewish, and Christian community leaders. Above all, we stand together as Canadians. The death and destruction in the Middle East have brought unimaginable pain and grief to countless human beings. United in purpose and voice, we urgently call upon the Prime Minister and his cabinet, opposition party leaders, and all members, along with all Canadians, to demand three things. Number one, an immediate ceasefire. Number two, passage of life-saving humanitarian aid. And number three, protection of civilians in accordance with international law. Central to all our religious teachings and social justice principles is the sanctity and inherent worth of every human being. Every life is a divine gift, and its protection is of paramount importance. We grieve for every life lost and every soul impacted, regardless of their faith or nationality. While our religions may differ in practice and doctrine, they converge in their teachings of compassion, love, justice, and mercy. These values unite us and compel us to speak out against violence and to champion peace. Thank you. And now, of the Canadian Christian Community and the United Church of Canada, Reverend Mary Royal Duzik. As a signatory to the Geneva Conventions and other international agreements, Canada bears a responsibility to champion these principles. Canadian leaders must steadfastly advocate for respecting international law, condemn the targeting of civilians, condemn the destruction of homes and vital facilities such as hospitals and schools, and oppose the denial of basic essentials like water, food, medical care, and fuel. Canada must stand alongside the United Nations Secretary General, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and the Independent Committee of the Red Cross in urging an immediate ceasefire, an end to the blockade, and the establishment of a secure humanitarian passage. So that was some of the speakers at a multi-faith coalition uh, urging for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war today. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie called for a humanitarian pause in the war in Gaza. Here's some of what she had to say today. We must be guided by human dignity and all civilians, Israeli and Palestinians, for they are equal, must be protected. At this point, Canada mourns seven dead. We are still searching for two who could be held hostage. 400 Canadians are trapped in Gaza. They are living in fear and despair. And as a government, we have a duty to bring them to safety. And that is why we need humanitarian pauses, a humanitarian truce in Gaza. And I've been in contact with Israel, with Qatar, with Egypt and the U.S. 
nearly every single day for the past three weeks. At this point, we need an agreement from all parties to get our foreign nationals out, including Canadians. All hostages must be released, and it is important to allow food, fuel, and water in Gaza. And Canada will be reaching out to more countries to join in that call. I spent the better part of this last month in Israel, Jordan, Egypt, and the EUAE, overseeing our efforts to help Canadians leave the region and working with our partners to address the impacts of this conflict while finding ways to de-escalate. The region is at a very precarious moment. You can feel the weight of anxiety and pain in the streets and at the highest levels of government. While we face the immediate and urgent impacts of this crisis, we must also look forward, looking forward to a political horizon and towards peace. So that was uh, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie today. She's calling for a humanitarian agreement to help people in Gaza and calling for a pause in hostilities between Israel and Hamas. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu today told the news conference that he would not be agreeing to a ceasefire, saying it would be tantamount to surrender to Hamas, surrender to terrorism, and surrender to barbarism. Well, coming up, uh, tomorrow is Halloween. But the Nature Conservancy is asking people to take a moment, not to be scared of, but to be scared for a number of animals associated with fear on the spookiest day of the year. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Well, as you know, unless you've been living under a rock, I suppose, uh, tomorrow is Halloween and the Nature Conservancy of Canada is asking people to take a moment to consider some of those creatures that uh, invoke fear in many people. Well, Andrew Holland joins me now. Well, hello, Andrew Holland. How are you today? Good. So the Nature Conservancy, I guess, wants to remind people that... uh, you know, we often see images this time of year of spiders and bats and all those kind of things that kind of demonizes, if you will, a certain species, but they all play an important role in nature. What, what's your message? Well, you're right. We, we grew up with these movies and myths and, and, and it's the imagery around this time of year from costumes and, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun, but it also sort of kind of hinters hinders uh, conservation efforts in some ways because people are afraid of, of a lot of these species some wolves and bats and owls and other creepy uh, species um, and they're afraid of them when Nature Conservancy of Canada we say uh, people should be afraid for them they should be afraid for their survival because they do good things for nature in different ways and their numbers have plummeted in some cases, so their populations aren't very strong. So that's why we were using this time of year to sort of shine a light, um, you know, to why people should be concerned for their survival and support uh, land conservation efforts. 
bats in particular uh, in a very vulnerable space right now. Oh, 100%. And then uh, across the country, and in, in, in many provinces, their numbers have have significantly declined. And in Newfoundland and Labrador, there's three different species of, of bats. The little brown bat is the most common one, and that is the only bat uh, in Labrador. But there's also the northern long-eared bat and the hoary bat. And some people might say, well, why do I care? Well, our message would be, <laughs> if you don't like mosquitoes, you should really like bats because one bat can catch 600 mosquitoes in just one hour. <laughs> so if you don't like mosquitoes, you should be a big fan of bats. Uh, we have other species as well. I know uh, snakes are not native to Newfoundland, although we do have a little uh, snake population, particularly on the West Coast. Uh, I think mostly grass or garter snakes. Um, so snakes, bats, owls... Yeah, owls are owls are are something funny because they 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 freak people out, and it's too bad. The, the problem is, it's a case where you don't get a good look at them because they come out at night, and it's something you're not as familiar with, and you don't have a chance to get a good look at it. Uh, you know, there's they have these big round eyes. These owls, they, their calls very haunting. And they're silent when they fly, and it, so it's kind of eerie and adds to their mystique. But uh, they keep rodent populations in check, like rats and things like that. They, they too, similar to uh, bats chomping on mosquitoes, owls keep rats in check. So they're a big part of our forests. And they're a big help for farmers and, and ranchers by keeping uh, rats and other rodents in check. So some of these species do good, and we're just using this time of year to try to bust some myths and educate people so they understand these species a little bit better. And wolves. We're starting to see a, a wolf population back on the island of Newfoundland after almost a century. And wolves, of course, with that iconic howling at night and uh, all of the myths that surround the big bad wolf and the like. Uh, I often heard it say that uh, um, wolves on the landscape are a sign that things are actually quite healthy. So what should our attitudes towards wolves be? Um, they've got a great a backstory in the province because they were recorded as extinct, uh, you know, I think back in 1930. Uh, so, yeah, wolves have been, uh, you know, the gray wolves uh, were spot. The provincial government, I think, in 2017 uh, confirmed that there were 11 gray wolves, uh, which is a, a hybrid of the eastern coyote. Uh, that were were in the province, so that that's uh, it's uh, the Newfoundland wolf might be extinct. There's other species that have that have kind of come back or have been in the uh, in the province, like a coyote wolf uh, hybrid, I guess. So that's exciting. Um, you know, there's been a sign that some of the wolf populations have have been uh, boosted, I guess, or more visible in, in certain areas of the province. So they all play a role. They do. All, all species help play a role in, in our native uh, ecosystems. And the important thing is if you don't have habitats for them, they'll lose their homes. So they won't have their spaces to roam. They won't have access to uh, food sources. 
and and like bats, for example, uh, they've had huge declines uh, across the country. And as if people are afraid of something, they may not really understand why we need to protect it or even worse, be openly hostile to these creatures that are just trying to survive. And so uh, while people are going out looking for uh, candy and Halloween treats, um, we just wanted to use this time of year to try and uh, highlight that uh, these are species we don't necessarily get a chance to see or interact with much, but they do play an important role in nature. And if we don't try to conserve more areas and protect them, their numbers can decline even further. Andrew Holland, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, thank you for yours and happy Halloween. So that's Andrew Holland from the Nature Conservancy. So uh, you got a costume, Claudette, or what? No, I don't. I asked a couple, I asked listeners um, during my show, I was telling them that uh, tomorrow I do a specific exercise class, and our instructor told us last week, show up with some something, you know, Halloween-ish. And, of course, I leave everything to the last minute, so people suggested either maybe paint a cat on myself or I need some last-minute ideas, put it that way. I have some black clothes. See? But I wear that every day. I know, I do too. <laughs> but, but if we're creating, I mean, that's all we need, black clothes. Maybe you know what? I have to make a, a, Ooh, a, a confession. confession. Oh, I love confession with Linda time. I've always felt the oppression of trying to come up with a costume i'm not good at it uh it doesn't really interest me so like people are always like asking like i thought i was done with it when i was 11 yeah but no, but you're but a mom how could you be done with it? as adults like no my yeah, son yeah. is not that interested either oh, to be honest with okay. you it's kind of like me but uh i know people are really into it and yeah. really are creative and like uh, my goodness i i can't say enough about those people but I ain't one of them. So I used to always feel like, uh, yeah, a certain amount of pressure to come up with something. There is a lot of pressure around Halloween for sure. And uh, I never have anything. I always come up blank. So Yeah, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to do anything unless I can find it in my immediate, you know, house. And I don't have to go shop. I don't want to go spend tonight hours looking for looking something. Looking for something, yeah. yeah I yeah. hear you. Uh, but I know people who go all out and put a lot of thought into it and love Halloween. Some people tell me Halloween is bigger than, than Christmas, Christmas for I've them. I've heard that, yeah. And, you know, more power to them. And I have to be honest, I really look forward to seeing some costumes around here tomorrow. Oh, yeah. A lot of people will be because yeah. uh, they want to enter a contest. And so. it, it always amazes me how clever they are, but... No, don't expect be much a from me. Day. I'll be coming as Linda. Linda, <laughs> super Linda. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> We're a cape. Uh, I don't even know if I got that. I might have a bed sheet or something. Uh, anyway, so there you go. Don't expect much from me. Is all I'm saying. Uh, anyway, we'll be back tomorrow. I look forward to seeing everybody's costumes, though. Just the same. Um, uh, so do join us then and uh, stay listening. We'll keep you up to date on a number of major stories that we've been covering here and following today and in through to tomorrow on the morning show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye for now.